0: Hello and welcome to the Men Able Matters podcast, brought to you by the Men Able Movement. I'm Steve Witten, the founder of Men Able, and it's our intention to bring you hints, tips and the inside stories from our fabulous guests to help you to understand mental health and to get the global automotive industry talking about it as an everyday subject. So join us with another fantastic guest here on Men Able Matters. welcome to another episode of men able matters with me steve Witten. now as we always promise we bring you some fantastic guests on this podcast and uh, today we're going to talk about predominantly talk about uh, trauma and my guest today is paul walston and he is a mental health first aid trainer he runs a consultancy business uh, he's also training to be a psychotherapist and i know that he's got a fantastic personal story to share and, uh, and particularly around the area of trauma is of real interest to me. So, welcome to Menable Matters. Paul, how are you, sir?
1: Thank you, Steve. Yeah, really good to be here. And yeah, I'm well. Uh, a touch of hay fever, so a little sniffly and red around the eyes. But apart from that, all good. Thank you. How are you okay. doing?
0: <laughs> well, that'll be because we're recording in the summer, allegedly. Although, as we sit here today, it is pouring down with rain where I am. I don't know if it's where it is where you are, but um...
1: it's a bit cloudy, but it's not too bad.
0: Okay. <laughs> so in good old men able matters fashion then paul if you could give us a bit of an intro as to who you are where you're from and what you do and uh if you want to make that last about 25 minutes that'd be brilliant
1: <laughs> yeah so thank you steve i'm paul wolston i'm director of pathlight limited and through that company i offer as you said mental health first aid training courses mostly to the corporate market but also to individuals Uh, I also do workplace wellbeing programs and personal coaching around relationships, communication and such like. And um, yeah, what what brought me to this mental health and psychotherapy space is my own experiences with mental ill health and uh, a certain amount of trauma, as we'll uh, talk about later on. Um, So yeah, I've, I'm, where am I from? I'm from Saddleworth, Greater Manchester. I've moved around a fair bit, but I came home to roost about twenty years ago, so that's where I'm talking to you from today, and um, yeah, my my story really is is one of uh, a lot of childhood trauma and some difficult experiences in adulthood, which have led to mental ill health issues, and from that, I went into counselling. I've had psychotherapy myself and found that incredibly powerful and empowering and transformative. And that really, um, through a windy road, has got me towards working in mental ill health, uh, mental training, supporting other people through a Facebook group I have, which I set up at the start of the pandemic. That's called Pathlight Thrive Hive and into training to be a psychotherapist. So I'm three and a half years into that five year journey, which Mm -hmm. is incredibly uh, rewarding empowering enlightening and transformative <laughs> um so yeah that's that's kind of the the nutshell version would would you like me to go into more detail well room? i was going
0: to say actually i mean uh, you know obviously at, at your own pace and as much as you want you know tell us a bit about the the trauma that you experienced because i think you know we all hear that word trauma and it probably conjures up an image you know of what that actually means but you know just before we started recording you actually sort of mentioned that trauma is uh is pretty much about the way that we react to something that's happened to us and that of course can mean then that trauma can be experienced out of out of almost anything then
1: yeah yeah it's it's probably a really good idea to to speak about what trauma is mm-hmm. and there's various definitions of it mm-hmm. but as i mentioned before we went live it's uh, the way I like to look at it, uh, which is a kind of accepted definition in the mental health space, is that it's a response to a distressing event or events uh, that overwhelm our capability to cope. So it can be an acute event. You know, I always think of the, the Manchester Arena bombing, which is something I talk about on my mental health first aid courses. So people who were involved in that, it was an incredibly traumatic shocking event and that has led to a lot of uh, issues for those people who've been involved around their mental health, their emotional health and their their physical well-being as well because it affects the whole person. Uh, So you've you've got those acute traumatic events but there's also what you might call trickle trauma or little t trauma uh, as opposed to the, the capital T trauma and those can be what we might consider relatively minor events like the death of our pet or you know on a on a more ongoing scale things like bullying Um, maybe a teacher said something to us in school which made us feel really ashamed Um, um, you know the way our parents treat us if we're constantly being criticized for example that can lead to trauma because especially when we're young we don't have the emotional capability and the emotional intelligence to to be able to deal with those things mm, mm. and if we don't have an empathetic person to help support us through these traumatic events whether it's an acute event like the the dying of of a pet or or a bombing or whatever it is a, a car accident uh, or whether it's the the trickle trauma the the ongoing bullying and um uh criticism that you might get from your parents you're not supported by an empathetic person that you trust and feel safe with then that trauma gets repressed into the body and uh, it will ultimately manifest in a destructive way which yeah. uh, as I've said can be mental health, it can be emotional well-being, it can affect our relationships and very often it manifests in the body as, as physical illness, very often yeah. as um, undiagnosed or, or, or things that apparently have no uh, biological cause, Uh, so it can be unexplained aches, it can be irritable bowel bowel syndrome, it can be uh, migraines, uh, lack of sleep, um, all sorts of stuff, changes in your appetite, Uh, even things like cancer and autoimmune diseases uh, like fibromyalgia. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of research now that shows that all of those illnesses that where it's the body attacking itself are really linked with mental ill health issues and in particular trauma.
0: Yeah. So how do you define what is a distressing event then? Because, I mean, you just touched on it there about, you know, it could be something as simple as something someone said to you Mm. right the way up to an horrific situation. And, you know, you mentioned the Manchester bombing there. I mean, I don't, you know, you don't even have to have been there to be traumatized by that um because even when you see it on the news or you see the accounts from people who've survived or relatives of of those who who've been lost you you think wow that's that's traumatic and you know I don't know any of them people I don't know that you know wasn't there or anything but so so where and how do we define what is a distressing event then
1: mm, that's a really good question Steve. and and the answer is it's it's unique to every individual because we are all unique we've got our own unique histories, Mm -hmm. our own unique upbringings, and we all have different levels of resilience. Uh, Resilience to stress, resilience to shocks and trauma. So what for one person might be an incredibly emotionally distressing event, for another it might be like water off a duck's back. Um, So it it really depends on our, um, I suppose it's, it's our mental resilience, our emotional resilience, our history of, of how we've been able to cope with stuff in the past, the tools that we've been given uh, from our upbringing, upbringing, our caregivers, how we've been treated, and also, you know, to a certain extent, I, I really believe that adage that what doesn't kill us can make us stronger. So if we've been through traumas in the past and we've we've recovered from them through whether it's some kind of treatment, psychotherapy, or um, becoming more compassionate and, and stronger through those experiences, we can actually um, cope with them better as, mm-hmm. as we develop. But, you know, you, you talked about, you know, you've not experienced the arena bombing or anything like that. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know if you're a football fan, Steve. Are you following the, the Euros at the moment? No. <laughs> okay. So. A,
0: well, funny actually you mentioned that because I always say, and I some, somewhat ingest, that the reason I'm not a football fan is that my family were besotted football fans and my dad was a referee and i think there was an element of of really having it shoved down my throat from a very early age so something in me rebelled and and you know didn't go into football and i and i just got can't be bothered with it really mm, mm. so i mean is that in itself could that be something as you know my reaction to to something as inane as that could be some from some trauma
1: well potentially you know i wouldn't want to diagnose it as such but certainly you know when when we are um heavily influenced by the people around us our, our parents or other caregivers mm-hmm. if they are very into something whether it's you know um into football or you know my dad was into cars mm-hmm. um very often as children we will go one of two ways which is to to copy that and, and get enmeshed in that. So mm-hmm. yeah, we become massive football fans or interested in cars, whatever it is, or we go the other way. We we rebel. And and that can be not just around interest, but also around how we are as people and as parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I noticed, you know, my dad was a very strict old school disciplinarian. And I noticed when I became a parent that I was repeating a lot of those patterns and habits with my own parenting. <laughs> uh, and that's another thing that kind of took me into personal development and, and counselling because I didn't want to be that person. That's I didn't want to be a bully, a critic a critical parents. I wanted to actually be kinder and allow my children to develop into the people that they they actually are already.
0: And I think all of us with kids have done that though, haven't we? We've caught ourselves saying something and going, Oh, sounded just like my dad then. Or my mum, or, you know, I can hear my my dad saying that.
1: Yeah, because we're so affected by it, Steve, you know, when Mm. they say the first seven years of life, um, I think, what is it? I've forgotten who who did the quote, but it's something like, give me uh, a child for seven years and I will show you the man. Yeah. Because, um, you know, we generally, you know, if you think about the nuclear family, Mm -hmm. um, I know not all families are, are this way, but we're brought up by our parents and we look up to them. They are our role models, and up until the age of kind of four, five, six, seven, we see them as gods. You know, they know everything. They're amazing at everything. We worship them, and whatever they say and whatever they do is the law, and yeah. it's it's amazing. You know, we're this kind of tiny, helpless being, and we see these incredibly capable and intelligent and experienced adults who who guide us and show us all these things that they, they can do, and we really take that in as this this is amazing this person is like a god um and it isn't until later on that we we start to kind of pick holes in that and rebel against it maybe um but up until that point where they uh, they're on this pedestal uh we're so affected by them that everything they say is the truth mm. and this can be the root of so much trauma because mm. If one of our parents is very critical or abusive towards us or doesn't show us that love that we, we all deserve and need, then that really impacts us because we've got this godlike figure who we look to for everything. And if they say to us, you're stupid, you'll never amount to anything, or you've made that mistake again, I'm going to send you to your room and you're a bad person. We, we actually interject that, we, we believe that to be true. Mm -hmm. And that can be the result uh, that can lead to toxic shame, where it's not just ashamed of something we've done. You know, we've spilt the milk. We've accidentally broken something. Uh, We're told we are bad. We're a bad person. And that's toxic shame where we actually believe that. and And that's what
0: you said before we started recording. You were saying that that's the sort of stuff that can lead to, you know, compulsive behaviors and things.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So addictions, uh, self harm, suicidal ideation, depression, relationship issues, emotional snapping, which is uh, you know the cause of, of so much anguish in in relationships, and and again another route why another reason why I've gone down to the, the psychotherapy route, which is yeah, yeah. to help people understand that what that what happened to them in the past is not their fault. It's nobody's fault actually. Uh, we're all products of our upbr- upbringing. So my dad, you know, was a product of his parents. Yeah, his parents yeah. were a product of their parents and the, the society, and the environment they grew up in. So it's nobody's fault, but we're all guilty of, of carrying on this intergenerational trauma. And um, yeah, it can, like you say, manifest in all sorts of very destructive behaviours, yeah. uh, many of which I've experienced myself.
0: Now you', you I'm gonna come back to the football question in a minute because uh, I kind of answered that in a in a, when you said was I a fan and I went off and answered it, but i wanna I wanna understand why you asked the question. So we'll come back to that in a minute, but something else you've just said there uh, a little while ago was about the um the nuclear family. and I can't help thinking that you know is there a little bit of a of a an influencer on our resilience if you're thinking in any way, doesn't comply with that traditional nuclear family view. And therefore could, you know, your reaction to what's going on around you, uh, you know, cause you to, to be traumatized by it if that makes sense
1: yeah potentially you know um so much of society is around us fitting in mm-hmm. and we're both in a, in a facebook group which is where we met i think uh which is all about being <laughs> not, yourself all about not me.
0: fitting in exactly yeah yeah exactly so or fitting in by not fitting in isn't it yeah That makes yes sense. yes yeah.
1: so in so many walks of life we are socialized to mm-hmm. be uh you know fit in with society's rules and that begins with our parenting who will have certain expectations on our behavior, what's good, what's bad, what's acceptable, what isn't. And then when we go to either nursery or school, we then get socialized into, right, yeah, you must be quiet. You must sit down at that desk and do your sums, Mm -hmm. even if you're not, um, you know, an academic person. And so many many times people who are perhaps more creative, more imaginative, uh, they're not cut out to be you know doing fractions and algebra that's not their thing it's not what rings rings their bells yeah. and yet they're forced like a, a round peg into a square hole mm-hmm. to to uh, fit in and and there's something fundamentally jarring about that for me i used to be a teacher and and it's one of the things that i i really railed against um that we're, we're trying to shoehorn people down this certain path to fit in with what uh you know a, a hundred-plus-year-old education system was designed to get us useful in in factories and stuff, you know, and and that's not what life is all about now and there's so much more value in creativity and and really following your purpose, your soul, whatever it is that you bring into the world uh, and like you say steve if we if we're not allowed to be who we actually are we're shoehorned into some other way of being that can be traumatic yeah, and it yeah. can certainly lead to a lot of um our soul our core qualities being repressed mm. and and all of that comes back in some way it will manifest and you know the the midlife crisis is what they used to call it personally yeah. i like to to call it more of a spiritual awakening certainly that's that's how i uh, frame what happened to me and very often it happens in late 30s early 40s where
0: mine was continuous from about 18 was it to, yeah so it was, yeah. it was like one one long succession of various midlife crises for different reasons
1: yeah so again we're, we're all unique so it isn't a yeah. case of we hit 40 and it happens to all of us and for some people it doesn't happen at all mm-hmm. but whatever we repress. Will come back in in some form, whether that, that is a spiritual awakening, midlife crisis, mm. physical illnesses, or you know depression, other mental health issues. Yeah. And from my own experience, that's what happened. You know, I was I was repressed. My my core being was repressed, so that I fitted in. I mm. became a people pleaser. Uh, I did what I was told, kept my head down. But ultimately, because I was pushing so much of me down, I got depressed. And that's what depression is. If you think about the word depression, we are pressing our emotions down. We are repressing part of our souls and and who we are. Um, So, yeah, really good question. And the answer is yes, it, it can. It can lead to those issues
0: yeah well I, I you know i was thinking that as you were talking because i was thinking well you know i don't want to belittle the whole trauma thing because i think people hear the word like we said at the beginning you know people hear the word trauma and think that's related to a fairly major event uh in your life but actually i you know, like what you were saying as well about actually no you can be traumatized from you know those those might fairly inane minor things of what somebody may have said or or done to you or what you witnessed um I guess a good example of that, and I'm thinking at myself for a minute, was is phobias. You know, I mean, in in the UK, there's no rational no rational reason to be scared of spiders at all because they're not venomous or anything like that. And yet, if I, I can sense if there's a spider in the room, and and you know him or me have to leave <laughs> one way or the other, and because I'm much bigger, it ain't going to be me. Um, so I can't go to bed if I can tell there's one in there, and if I see it, it's got to go. But mm. um, you think, well, where have I learned that from?
1: Well, yeah. So where have you learned that from? Yeah. Oh, that's did, did that's you have a trauma, a isn't
0: it? Of, of sorts.
1: Yeah. So, so I'm guessing you either had a parent or caregiver mm-hmm. who was scared of spiders and you learned that behavior from them. Yeah. Or you've had some kind of trauma, traumatic experience with a spider. So mm. can you remember whether something no, happened?
0: I, well, I, you know what? I think because I did some uh, hypnotherapy as well at some point. Um uh, which I'm sure you'll be interested in. We can talk about that another time, but um, and, and my hypnotherapy took me back to a number of, of events of things that sort of started this ball rolling. And, and yeah, I remember we, I was about five and we'd moved out of London Um uh, never saw spiders or anything in houses in London. And we moved to the country. And uh, I remember I was actually in the bathroom one day and and my mum suddenly screamed at the door and said, Stephen, don't move, stay exactly where you are. And I was like, what's going on? What's going on? And of course, then I look down and see this big spider on the, on the wall. And, uh, and because she was traumatized by it, that naturally kind of then projected onto me. Mm. Uh, whereas I think if, if she'd have been the opposite and went, Oh, look, there's a lovely spider. Look, let's pick, let's pick him up and put him outside because he doesn't want to be in here. That would have, you know, would have changed the lifetime of, of a certain behavior.
1: Mm. Yeah. So how old were you when that happened, Steve? Five. Yeah, I think you said. So, yeah, that's a perfect example of what I was saying earlier. Mm. Up to age seven, our parents are gods. Mm-hmm. And if we see our parent afraid, then there must be something dangerous. It mm. must be something that we need protection from. Yeah, good and point. And very similar thing happened in my own family, you know. Um, I was married um, and we had two young children. And my ex-wife was absolutely petrified of spiders, uh, whereas, was I'm not, and I thought I I don't want my my ex-wife's fear to pass on to my children because mm-hmm. you know I love nature and I love all all beings and I I enjoy I I interact with spiders I have them running on my hand and all sorts it's, and I won't harm anything, so I wanted my children to to kind of follow my lead rather than have this irrational fear, uh, so as soon as they were you know out of the the cot. I was like, oh, look, little spider, and I would show them and have it running on me and and show no signs of fear, and they would have it on them, and there would be no sign of fear as it's running around their hands, and they'd oh, isn't it lovely? But at some point, they picked up on my ex-wife's fear, and, you know, they look up to their mum just as they looked up to me, and although there was no trigger from me of, this is dangerous... They picked it up from their mum, and uh, one of the two children now is scared of spiders, whereas the other isn't. So that's a good example.
0: Well, you've just made the hairs. What well, our remaining hairs on the back of my neck are now standing up <laughs> <laughs> when you when you were talking about them running all over your hands. <laughs> Uh, a glass and a piece of card and out it goes if it's mm. lucky
1: <laughs> well at this point steve I'm, I'm going to signpost you something so you've talked about hypnotherapy but I, yeah. i'm guessing it hasn't been wholly effective if it's still well, no giving... no to
0: be fair no that, that it was about something else ah, um, okay but uh that yeah which is a whole new subject but uh, now on the phobia side of it it was uh yeah we didn't delve into that
1: yeah okay well um i'll i'll just mention one form of, of therapy which is really helpful for Uh, phobias, but also any kind of trauma, actually. It's called EMDR, Mm -hmm. which stands for Eye Movement Desensitisation and Reprocessing. So it's a form of talking therapy, a bit of a mouthful, but a form of talking therapy. uh, And it's not the only uh, treatment for trauma. There's all Mm -hmm. sorts of things you can get out there, but this this one is uh, increasing in popularity. It's proven to be very effective and also very quick. And, and the way it works is, um, if you think about, I don't know how much you know about sleep, Steve, but there's different phases of sleep. It's
0: my favourite subject.
1: Yeah. And the, there's, <laughs> there's, there's, there's one phase of sleep called REM sleep, which oh, yeah, is yeah, rapid yeah. eye movement. And that's when, you know, if you were to observe someone who's asleep, you can see their eyeballs moving underneath their eyelids. Mm, mm. And scientists believe that what's happening in this phase of sleep is where we're processing all of the events of the day from our short-term memory into our long-term memory. And when we've experienced a trauma on any given day, whether it's an arena bombing or a spider going across your hand, whatever it is, um, that trauma is, is repressed. Right. So it doesn't translate from transfer, sorry, from the short-term memory into the long-term memory. That R E M stage of sleep doesn't happen because our, our kind of emotional and mental system has shut down because we weren't able to cope with it.
0: And this is where we get overwhelmed and back to your point about resilience.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So the way EMDR works is uh, you talk about the event, the traumatic event with your trained therapist, and they will go through a series of eye movements with you Mm. as you recount the event and say certain phrases. And normally they'll either shine a light little torch light or they'll move their finger in a certain way. um, And you have to track it with your eyes as you are recounting, like running a um, a film of that event in your mind and saying certain things. Uh, And that eye movement replicates what would have happened in REM sleep. So effectively, through between one and six, maybe a few more sessions of EMDR, you can uh, reprogram and transfer that traumatic event from your short-term memory into your long-term memory and be able to... Uh, engage with it and and feel that it's not a threat anymore yeah and it's, it's really effective so maybe give that a go for you yeah, your I,
0: I should be looking that up I've written it down thank you for that okay. so I said I was going to take you back to the question about football you asked me if I was a football fan mm. and we established that I'm not so yeah <laughs> so why so, did you ask the question
1: Well, you may be aware of this, even though you're not following the Euros. I don't know if you've heard about Christian Mm Eriksen and what happened to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So for those who are not uh, up to speed with it, uh, Christian Eriksen is a Danish football player. Mm -hmm. And during their first match of Euro 2020 uh, last week, I think it was, he collapsed on the pitch. Yeah, yeah. So uh, nobody tackled him or anything. He just collapsed face first and very quickly it became clear that there was a serious issue with him uh, and his teammates came to him, the medical staff came and all of, you know, the game was stopped for, for quite a long time and it was almost abandoned and it transpired that he'd had a, a heart attack, his heart mm-hmm. had stopped and he required CPR and um, resuscitation on the pitch and you could see, you know, if you were watching it, you could see that this was a trauma that was unfolding. Not just the trauma for Christian Erikson, but for mm-hmm. his teammates, the other team, the people in the crowd, the medical staff, the referee. You could see in their face that they were yeah. being emotionally affected by this. And I expect, you know, that they're going to be offered therapy. The the mm-hmm. the, the people, uh, the teammates are going to be offered therapy to, to be able to cope with this. And for me, you know, it was traumatic enough watching it but it also was doubly traumatic for me because a very similar thing happened to my son in December of last year where I was playing football with him and he collapsed on the pitch oh, and really. was unconscious. He didn't have a heart attack, but at the time I didn't know whether, whether he was dying or, or what it was. Mm. So just watching Christian Eriksen, there was the trauma of, of that event. It was traumatic for me to watch that. But it also you know I was in floods of tears Steve because mm-hmm. it re-triggered that trauma from from thinking gosh what happened with my son I thought am I gonna lose my son here yeah, which yeah no, you know I as that. I speak now I can feel my yeah, my throat no, I can tightening sense up, that as well yeah, yeah 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 so so events like that just watching something unfold on television can be traumatic but you know the the thing with my son as well it's it' stays with me and I don't think I'll ever forget Mm. that moment which was incredibly shocking and i've something i've dealt with in therapy but i still feel every every time i think about it
0: so let's let's look at the resilience part of that then for a minute because you know I, i could sense that that you know clearly that's that's a tough subject um you know it's your son so it's really close to home seeing it again on telly you know triggered that because um, you know, and I would have I would have been the same, I'm sure, if if it was a similar thing for me. And I mean immediately you mentioned your son. I was thinking about my own sons as well and things that they've been through and trauma associated with that. Now, you know, when we talk about resilience, I think part of, of our journey with Men Able is about getting people to realise that resilience isn't necessarily about toughing up, is it? It's not about, you know, come on, man up, you know, which is which has been the, the typical thing. So what, what's your your view around re- resilience then and, you know, how different people react to different things?
1: Mm, yeah. So for me, there's, there's a lot here around toxic masculinity and, and mm. some people don't <laughs> like that phrase. <laughs> Whole new
0: podcast, that'll be. Yeah. 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 What you
1: said there about, about manning up. Mm. Uh, for me, that is really damaging and mm. it's really enmeshed in our culture. Uh, you know, the British stiff upper lip that you, you, you get on with it. You know, you don't, you don't talk about it. You don't cry. You don't show vulnerability. Mm. And for me, that actually has the opposite effect of what's intended. It's intended to show we are strong. We are male. We are unaffected by all of these difficult things. And we're going to carry on. Um, for me, you know, I think resilience, true resilience comes from showing your vulnerability. And for me, that means really getting in touch with your feelings, acknowledging what has happened to you, acknowledging your feelings in the moment and expressing them in a safe way. And to do that, you need to have somebody empathetic nearby, uh, whether that is a trusted friend or it's a psychotherapist or it's a peer support group. Uh, Again, I set up a a men's peer support group to try and break this stigma around talking about Mm -hmm. Uh, emotional issues, mental health issues, relationship difficulties. So it was, uh, yeah, men would come from, you know, young men up to people who are retired. And we would sit in a circle before the pandemic and uh, and talk about what's going on for us and really open up about our own feelings, our own vulnerabilities and feel safe to do that. And there's something really powerful about sharing your authentic experience mm. with other people who are not there to judge you they're not there to criticize you they're not even there to advise you they're just there to listen yeah yeah and that safe holding space is inc- incredibly empowering and it can shift something uh, and that is something that i think is is increasing in popularity and if we can bring that into our everyday lives into our workplaces into our marriages into how we talk to our children um it's it's going to be transformative, but it's a long way to go. You know, this I go when I'm go into companies and do my workplace well-being programs. There's a lot of toxic culture there. Uh, you know, where it's it's all about targets. It's all about pushing, getting more and more and more out of every every single individual, rather than saying, okay, what is it that you need at this moment? And sometimes people need uh, support. They need space. They need someone to talk to about what they're struggling with yeah. and very often uh, rather than go to their boss or their colleagues and say i'm not coping at the moment i can't i can't take on this new project mm-hmm. they will say yeah fine i'll have it done and they'll work long hours they'll get burnt out they'll get depressed and anxious and it will have an impact on their whole life
0: yeah yeah so from your perspective just uh, to sort of wrap us up a little bit then on that front because i'm particularly keen on the, on the workplace side of it and as you know you know, Men Able is aimed at the automotive industry, which um, is all the stuff you've just described there. Just, you know, could be any dealership and most automotive businesses where it's target driven objectives, performance. Um, how can we help managers and, and leaders to transform to be a bit more empathetic then? Because you're right. That's exactly what's needed. And, you know, what what I have witnessed over many, many years is there's not very many examples of people being able to go to their bosses and saying, you know, i'm not going to hit my target this month because this is going on that's going on you know and as you say they keep plodding on plodding on plodding on actually has the adverse effect mm, so what what's yeah. what's the trick there then paul what would well, be your top tips maybe
1: yeah well I'm, I'm, if i may i'm going to turn that question around slightly to you first of all and say <laughs> you 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 know a lot about the automotive industry I've, I've heard some of your other podcasts around you know targets and sales <laughs> and and uh, how it works there's a bit of a, a culture of of bullying, I understand, in that industry and is all about more, 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 faster, 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 sales, sales, money, 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 which is what the capitalist ideal is built upon. So I'm going to ask you, if I may, Steve, sales managers or people who are running those dealerships, for example, where do they get the blueprint of this is how you do it? This is how you treat staff. Where does that come from?
0: <laughs> I, do you know what? I think that's, Yeah. Um, it links back to what we were saying about the, the phobias and the trauma. Um, oh, look, there's one on the phone right now. <laughs> It'll go in a minute. Don't worry about that. Uh, but it links for me, it links back to the, the phobias and the traumas piece. That actually it's learned behavior. Yeah. It's learned behavior. It's come from previous managers, the way they were managed, the way that they, that, you know, they think it's, it's okay. Um, and, and I'm a, you know, I have to be careful that I don't sound too like too much like a cynic, in the industry, but I've seen a lot of, of managers being promoted for confidence, not competence, you know, and I think that confidence comes from behaviors that they've learned from other managers. And, uh, you know, and I've had some managers over a 35 year history that I just look back on now and I cringe
1: hmm.
0: uh, and think if, you know, and I've actually managed people in a way that's the opposite to the way I was managed because I don't want to be seen as, you know, this, this sort of bullying performance driver that's, uh, you know, that, that gets the, the opposite effect out of people.
1: Mm. Yeah. So thank you, Steve. And it is, it's learnt behaviour. As mm. as so much of what we accept as normal in in our own lives and in society in general, it's learnt behaviour. Mm. So yeah, people generally, I think are promoted to their lowest level of incompetence so you know they've done well as a salesperson. (laughs) they become the regional sales manager and so on and so on and and, and that's that's how it works and and the traditional way of doing things in sales is you crack the whip you crack the whip if someone hasn't got the results you crack the whip even harder work longer hours you know it's all bonus focused and all that type of stuff but you know there's a lot of research out there that says that if we are more compassionate to our staff, if we're more flexible with our staff, if we treat them with human beings, we ask them what their aims and objectives are, what they really want to do, what their passions are, which road do they want to go down. Treat them as individuals and yeah, if they need half a day off to to go and have an appointment or if they need a week off just because their mental health is, is struggling at the moment, then you treat them well. They then feel safe, they feel like they are valuable they feel able to come to you with their problems and express their vulnerabilities and for me that develops a relationship of trust and safety and people who feel safe people who feel trusted people who feel like they're important uh, rather than just a cog in a machine will uh, deliver more passion and they will deliver more productivity and this is this is the 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 real bottom line of the workplace well-being programs that I, I go into organisations and deliver. It's it's about focusing on the people, but by doing so, you increase profits, you reduce uh, staff turnover, you reduce staff illness, uh, you know, and, and bring in things like the mental health training as well, and um, to create this safe, compassionate atmosphere where people feel able to express what's really going on for them uh, and and people deliver results without the whip having to be cracked at all
0: yeah paul that's that's absolutely spot on and um you know i mean we've talked before we're going to be def- uh, genuinely doing some stuff together through the men able movement you know opportunities will will come up but uh, in the meantime how can anyone sort of learn a bit more or or, or you know maybe get in touch with you as well yeah,
1: so I've, uh, thank you, Steve, I've got a website, which you can find out more about my mental health first aid training, and workplace wellbeing programs and webinars and coaching and all of the other stuff I do. So that's pathlight.org.uk. Uh, if you're an individual who wants a bit of support and connection and inspiration around mental health and coping with the pandemic, uh, and just connecting with other mm-hmm. people, you can go to pathlight thrive hive on Facebook. Uh, and if anyone wants to email me with any queries, uh, you can do so at info at pathlight.org.uk.
0: Brilliant. That's fantastic. Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining us on Menable Matters. It's been enlightening talking about trauma and, you know, opening that subject up. So thank you so much. And uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you again soon. I'm sure a part two is beckoning.
1: Uh, yeah, I'd be very happy to come back. So thank you very
0: much, Steve. All right. You take care. Thanks, Paul. You've been listening to Men Able Matters, the podcast brought to you by the Men Able Movement. If you'd like to get involved, join us at menable.org or follow the hashtag #Menable. Join us again for another podcast where we'll talk to more fantastic guests and get their hints, tips and insights to their personal stories too. See you again soon.